Brothers and sisters, if you have Holy Scripture in front of you, then I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. We continue on in our series through this second Gospel, probably the first to be written, but the second in the order of the canon here in Holy Scripture. Second Gospel, it is... Mark, and we arrive today at chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Open your hearts now with faith to receive the holy and the inspired word of the Lord. Speaking of Jesus, we read, He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Loved ones in Christ, this is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Blessed Lord, who has caused the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may hear learn, read, and inwardly digest them, that through the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Rejection is difficult. Rejection is one of those great themes that can be found anywhere. The great uh, works of art and literature, whether truly high art or popular entertainment, they all seem to center around this theme of rejection. Uh, Great works of art that you can find in the museums around the world, on one hand, and pop songs, on the other hand, deal with rejection. You can find it in operas. You can find it in romantic comedies. People are being rejected all the time, and it's one of those deep uh, feelings of pain, experiences of pain that we all have gone through in one way or another. It's a powerful source of, uh, of uh, uh, negative feelings in our lives. And it could be a force, at the end of the day, for good or for ill. Some face rejection, and it leads to total despair. Others face rejection... And it suddenly becomes that wake-up call, and they turn their lives around. But it really all comes down to the people who are involved. Who is doing the rejecting, and who is the one who is being rejected? In our passage today, it is actually Jesus himself who faces rejection. Revealing to us one of the most important themes in all four of the Gospels and particularly here in Mark's gospel, the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, Jesus demonstrates that he has the marks of God's ultimate prophet. God's ultimate prophet has come. He is the one who now truly reveals the way of salvation. He is the one who truly reveals life in God. And we must not allow our familiarity with him to breed contempt and to lead us over time to push Jesus away and ultimately to reject him. Let's look at this particular theme from this passage as we first see that Jesus is our chief prophet. He is our chief prophet. That's the language of our catechism. That Jesus Christ is our chief prophet and teacher. There are many other prophets that the Lord has sent. But Jesus is the cornerstone prophet. The heart of this story in Mark chapter 6 is that Jesus has revealed himself to be a prophet. We have found him, we have found him and his disciples making the roughly 30-mile journey southwest from Capernaum, where they've been for most of this gospel so far, back to his hometown of Nazareth. So it doesn't say Nazareth in this passage, but we know from earlier sections of the gospel that for him to go back to his hometown means that he's gone back to Nazareth. And he's gone there to exercise this office of being the prophet. He has a word to give from God to the people. But the people there will not receive it. They reject it. And in response to this, Jesus says in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. In other words, if it is revealed that a person is a prophet, then they are honored as such unless they are around people that know them. And for Jesus to return back to his hometown and to be among his own household, the household where he grew up, means that he is now facing dishonor. Uh, But according to Jesus, it is a simple fact that he is a prophet. He does no arguing for it here. He just says, well, prophet is... Not without honor, except in his hometown. His arrival is much like the arrival of the other prophets of Scripture. It's marked by an uptick in miraculous activity. As though God were yelling from heaven through his prophet that he's doing something special at this period in redemptive history. These kinds of things happened in the days of Moses and in the days of Elijah. Moses was raised up as the prophet of God, and God did great signs and wonders. He did something similarly through Elijah during a great time of apostasy and turning away from God in the land of Israel. God raised up Elijah. He came with a word from God, and that word was authenticated. It was confirmed to be truly from God by an uptick in miraculous activity. There was both wise teaching and power to confirm the teaching. We see this in the early church, too, as the apostolic testimony about Jesus goes out. So signs and wonders come to confirm that this teaching is truly from God. There's wise teaching and there's power that confirms the authority of that teaching. And these two characteristics of wisdom and power are exactly what the people in Nazareth zero in on when Jesus teaches them that day in the synagogue. 
Look with me at verse 4. The people ask, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Both wisdom and power. Wise teaching and mighty works. Just like in the days of the great prophets of old. But here's the main difference between all those prophets that came before and Jesus. Here's the difference. Those prophets, up to and including John the Baptist, by the way, those prophets were mere human beings who were taken up in a spiritual sense into the very counsel of God where the Lord sends them back with a word from him. This is kind of wonderfully how the the scriptures talk about the calling of prophets. They're taken up through visions and through a word from the Lord. They're taken up into the council chambers of God. And God says, here's my word and my will for the people. Now go back as my messenger and tell them. So all those prophets were taken up to be sent back down. But our Lord Jesus Christ did not need to be taken up at all. He has always been in the counsel of God. He has always known the full word of the Lord. He is the word of God incarnate. He is the word of God who has taken on flesh. And having his origins in the heavens, he has now come down. He did not go up as a mere human just to come back down. But he has always been God in the flesh and he has come down to be the great prophet and teacher of the people of God. He is that chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the will of God concerning our deliverance from sin, concerning our salvation. What the other prophets knew partially, Jesus knows fully. And what he's revealed to us That's not even the half of it. Because he has the knowledge of God. He knows things exhaustively. And so when he comes, what he speaks to the people of God is truly what we need as the prophet of God. The other prophets knew partially, but Jesus knows fully. And what he delivers to us as our chief prophet is the full message of the gospel. The Apostle Paul saw this quite clearly in his first letter to the Corinthians. Paul also zeroed in on these two same categories that we see in our passage here in Mark. The categories of wisdom and power. One who teaches the full counsel of God. There's that wise teaching. And who also demonstrates the full power of God. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. He says, Jews demand signs, and Greeks, meaning in this sense non-Jews, seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There are those categories. And Paul says that they are totally summed up in Jesus Christ. 
For Paul, the power and wisdom of God, it finds its, its end point, its goal. These things find their goal in Christ Jesus, crucified for sinners. That is the wisdom and the power of God for the ages. That is the wisdom and the power of God that Jews thought they were seeking and that Gentiles thought that they were seeking. But all that wisdom and power falls short unless it finds its end goal and expression in the true prophet, Jesus Christ. What this means is that this great wisdom and this great power that Jesus demonstrated that day in Nazareth, whatever it was that he said that day, And whatever power he demonstrated to them that day was just a glimpse of what he would accomplish in his death and crucifixion. Because Paul tells us the wisdom and power of God are in the cross. It's in the cross. It is in the cross that Jesus proves himself to be our chief prophet. Jesus Christ hanging on the cross for sinners. It's not just some event that took place. It is a message that comes to the world and confronts the world. It is a message from our chief prophet. It is the way of salvation. It is the way to life in God. He is the one who by his atoning death truly reveals salvation to his people. Jesus Christ is our chief prophets. Secondly, this morning, we see that some reject this prophet. Some reject him. Let's look at the reason and the result of of rejecting Jesus. What are the reasons why people reject Jesus? And then what results when that happens? There are many reasons why people reject Jesus the prophet. We've seen many reasons already in Mark's gospel. Chapter 1, verses 21 through 28 we see kind of a a parallel passage, but back in Capernaum. Similar things that we've read about here in Nazareth. Uh, On the Sabbath, he goes to the synagogue and he teaches in Capernaum. And we read there in chapter 1, verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And you remember there that there's this feeling of astonishment, but word eventually reaches the scribes who begin a campaign of rejection against Jesus. Later, both in chapters 2 and 3 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus teaches and then he faces rejection. He's rejected more outrightly by the scribes in chapter 2, verse 7, because of alleged blasphemy. You remember, he heals... He heals a man and declares that his sins are forgiven. He truly affects the forgiveness of sins. And the scribes say, what are these blasphemous things that he's saying? Who can forgive sins except God? So there's a reason why he's rejected it, because of alleged blasphemy. He's rejected by the Pharisees because of his disregard for their teachings. Their extra legalistic teachings adding to the law and the word of God. And Jesus sets those things aside and they reject him for it. He's even rejected, perhaps most shockingly, in chapter 3, verse 21, by his family. And what's the reason given for this rejection? They say he's out of his mind. He's out of his mind. He's insane. 
Uh, he's a blasphemer. He doesn't respect authority. He's out of his mind. All kinds of reasons why Jesus might be rejected. And here in Nazareth, here in chapter 6, in his hometown, Jesus is rejected because of familiarity with him. They already know who this guy is. And he's not some big shot prophet. Jesus says in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. They know him. They're familiar with him. And it's on that basis that they turn away from him. Now, this, uh, this phrase here of a prophet is not without honor and so forth, this is actually a somewhat popular proverb in the first century. You can find some version of it both in Jewish and in Gentile literature uh, from, from this time period. And the point of this little saying is to show that being familiar with a man can actually be a stumbling block to truly understanding Sometimes you find yourself surprised even by somebody that you've known for a long time. Because you were familiar. You stopped exploring. You stopped asking questions. Um, familiarity sometimes leads us to become stagnant in our exploration of someone. We're familiar. We kind of think we know that person. And so that's that. And that's what the people in Nazareth did. It's kind of like... Uh, Let's say you're in school and there's a guy who's just, he's just always been the class clown. Okay, he's the class clown, but then at your 10-year reunion, it turns out that he's now a multimillionaire. He's a very serious-minded, disciplined person. And he's just completely different. He, he was class clown, and that's the expectation you have when you go to your 10-year reunion. But now he comes in, he's wearing a, a nice suit. He comes in wear, uh, driving an expensive car. And it is hard to set aside in situations like that, and many others, your expectations of that person because you had a certain familiarity with him or with her. That familiarity leads you actually to feel offended. You're, you're different than I remember you. I knew you in one way, and now you're, you're something different. It, it offends your expectations. It offends your sensibilities. It can even threaten you. I thought I knew this person. Well, now think of Jesus. The Gospels tell us that he was raised in Nazareth. The people knew his family well enough. And so they, they cite his family relations as a way to reject him. Verse 3. Uh, basically, they say, wait a second. Isn't this Mary's son? We, we know his siblings. His sisters are here at synagogue with us today. But now, uh, this Jesus, he rolls back into town, and he has an entourage of disciples with him. And perhaps they see him thinking that he's big stuff now. They, they, they've misinterpreted him. And his teaching is, beyond a doubt, astonishing. But their familiarity makes it so that they can't truly receive the teaching. What begins as astonishment eventually leads to offense. They cannot get past their old expectations. He, this, this guy's not a prophet. He's just a carpenter. He works with his hands. He works with wood. He doesn't do all that highfalutin thinking and talking and speak. Where did he get this stuff? And so their astonishment 
eventually reaches a stumbling block in their familiarity with him. Now then, Mark, as he records this passage, does not sugarcoat this response. He he doesn't try to tie up this wicked response. But in verse 6, he calls it what it is. He says it's unbelief. Unbelief on the part of the people in Nazareth that day. We've seen that familiarity is the main reason for their unbelief, but now what's the result? What results from their unbelief? The result is that Jesus withholds blessing. Jesus withholds blessing. Verse 5, it says, He could do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. What Jesus might have done for the people of Nazareth, we can't say. Because they rejected him. As John tells us in his gospel, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. He came to those who should have known better. He even came to his own hometown, to his own neighbors, to those who grew up with him. And they did not receive him. They heard him speak and they, they, they experienced some level of astonishment. They heard the reports and they saw with their own eyes that he had the, the powers of a true prophet to heal. But they did not receive him. Brothers and sisters, let this never be said of us. That our familiarity with Jesus has led us to abandon him and to reject him. Now, may it always be the case that we are familiar with Jesus and that together, as a congregation, we grow in a deeper knowledge of Christ to know him better day by day. But do not allow familiarity with Jesus to breed contempt of him and to lead you to push him away. Otherwise, we are, to use the the language and the images of Jesus' parables, We're no different than the thorny soil that at first receives the word of God, but then the cares of the world choke the word out. And because we're just merely familiar with Jesus, we don't actually delight in him. We don't continue to know him, to love him, and to delight in him. Let it never be said that we are that thorny soil, but to receive Jesus and to do so with gladness. Beware of a familiarity that leads to a rejection of Jesus in worship. In worship. It needs to be said that the people who reject Jesus in this passage are churchgoers. In fact, that's where they rejected him, was in the assembled, gathered people of God. They assembled freely to hear the word of God in the law and the prophets But they failed to recognize that those very scriptures spoke of him. And that the one who stood before them that day in the synagogue was the fulfillment of all that they had just heard read in that very worship service. Their worship was not heartfelt. It was merely external. And this is the temptation of every stripe of Christianity, regardless of the worship tradition, is to enter into worship with the hands and with the mouth, and not with the heart. Our familiarity breeds contempt, and and so we begin to push him away, even in our worship, 
So beware of a familiarity that leads to that kind of rejection. Beware also of a familiarity that leads to rejection of Jesus in our daily obedience. Not just in Lord's Day worship, but in our day-to-day fidelity to the Word of God. In verse 4, Jesus describes the people's behavior as dishonoring. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown. They didn't show him respect or reverence. They didn't give him a listening ear. Not truly, not a, not a, 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 a godly, fearful, and, and loving response. They didn't open themselves up to his word. To Jesus. Not just any old prophet, but the very prophet who dwelt eternally in the counsel of God. They would not listen to that ultimate and chief prophet. And so they wouldn't obey him. So don't allow your familiarity to breed contempt and to lead you to push Jesus away in your daily obedience either. Lastly this morning, we've seen now that Jesus is that chief prophet. And we've seen what it looks like grievously to push him away and to reject him. And now what does it look like to receive this prophet? We've seen a connection in this passage between unbelief. And the withholding of blessing. They didn't believe and therefore Jesus moved on. He was unable to do any more mighty works except for a few healings. They were guilty of unbelief there. And and so Jesus did not make nearly the splash that he would have made otherwise. When it comes to his miracles and his power. Think then of what this implies about faith. If lack of faith, if unbelief closes us to the blessings of God, then faith opens us to the blessings of God. Because it is faith that comes from our heart as an open hand to receive the blessings. That's what faith is. It is when our heart reaches out and clings to all of the blessings and benefits of God. In Nazareth that day, their faith would have, their faith, if they exercised faith, their faith would have created a circumstance in which Jesus would have poured out even more favor upon them. It was, uh, it was gracious enough for him to come. And as the true prophet of God to come and to reveal the teachings of God and to heal some of them. But more would have come to them if their hearts had reached out to Jesus with that instrument of faith, with the open hand to receive. Loved ones in Christ, this is the offer that Jesus always lays before you. That you would always come with an open and empty hand. Not with your works, Not with the things that you've come to impress God with, but with that empty hand of faith to receive the goodness and the blessing that he offers. You may receive this prophet's wisdom and power. This true prophet's wisdom and power. You may be the recipient of it by receiving it through faith. And that wisdom and power, once again, is on full display In the cross. That is the message which you must receive. 
It is Christ crucified, which is the wisdom and the power of God. And that is that great, ultimate blessing of salvation, which you must receive by faith alone. God has laid down a plan by which you might be delivered from sin by opening your heart to him in faith. And it is this offer that extends to you daily in your Christian walk, but it is also that offer that is always extended to unbelievers. The people of Nazareth there are are stuck in unbelief. They were guilty of an unbelief that was so terrible that Jesus himself marveled at it. As if to say, this is unbelievable. I've come to give you the true teachings of the word of God and to give you healing and still you will not believe. It makes him marvel. But even then, even then, Jesus still heals some of their sick. As a token of his grace and mercy that continues to be held out to them if they would receive. If they would come with that open and empty hand of faith. It is this message and this message alone which keeps your heart warmed to Christ so that familiarity with him will actually lead to a deep knowledge of him rather than contempt and rather to rejection of him. So receive him. Receive this prophet. Receive him for the sake of your worship. Come each Lord's Day ready and expectant to receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come each Lord's Day with the joy of your salvation. Come prepared fully to receive the good news of a crucified Savior whose blood cleanses you of sins and whose resurrection gives you new life. Participate in all the prayers and the songs and the standing and the sitting and so forth. Do so not just with your body, but from the heart. Give wholehearted, authentic worship to Christ. Remembering the horror of your sin and the beauty of Christ's salvation. Receive Jesus, the prophet, also for the sake of your daily obedience. Both for Lord's Day worship and for your daily obedience. Receive him. His teachings sometimes, more than sometimes, are disturbing. His his teachings disturb and offend our sensibilities. He tells us to orient our entire life, even our thought life, toward him in worship and in submission. Uh, Don't like that. We do not uh, actually gladly receive that kind of a thing unless the Lord works it within us. Um, That kind of teaching is disturbing to us. He tells us to crucify our desires. To nail our wickedness to the cross. He tells us to love one another as we love ourselves. And with these kinds of teachings, it is very easy to be offended. Unless you daily receive him. And you daily open your heart with faith to receive this prophet who has died in your place for your sins. Remember that this wisdom and power are expressed fully in the cross and in the resurrection. It is there that your sins are dealt with forever. So respond to him in obedience. Brothers and sisters, rejection is a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Terrible thing to face, but it will be even worse if we're the ones doing the rejecting. And if Christ is the one whom we reject. Stand firm, therefore, 
in your faith. Do not lose heart. Do not let your heart grow cold to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember his cross. Let his grace towards you warm your heart in worship and obedience. Receive him, and his blessings will never cease. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. O merciful God, who is pleased to condescend to speak to us through your word, grant us all grace that we may not be mere hearers of your word, but doers also. Give us the grace of your Holy Spirit, that we may believe what has been proclaimed to us. May we bring honor and glory to your name in all that we do, as you conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the great name of Jesus Christ. Amen.